0: Greetings, and welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on vhha.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and many others. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, and the Family Podcast Network. Episodes also air each Saturday at noon and Sundays at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send questions, comments, feedback, or guest suggestions to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. I'm Will Seldon with VHHA, and today we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Yvonne Harden, a gastroenterologist at Falkir Health for a conversation about his career, a new direct access program for colonoscopy patients, men's health, and more. So with that, welcome to the show, Dr. Harnden. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. We'd like to start by introducing our guests to our audience a little bit. Um, and what we know about you is that you attended medical school at USC out in California, and then did an internal medicine residency at Duke University Medical Center. We also know you're a family man, your wife is also a physician, and that outdoor activities on the water and world travel are interests of y'alls. Beyond that basic information, what are some other essential things people should know about you?
1: Yeah, so I, I grew up in Los Angeles, as you said, went to medical school at USC. That's actually where I met my wife, and then we came out to North Carolina uh, to Duke for our internal medicine training. I did my fellowship at Duke as well for gastroenterology and then afterwards moved to the Northern Virginia area where I was working in private practice for a while and developed some of my own clinical interests that I've continued to pursue here at Fauquier as well. been practicing since 2016 in gastroenterology uh, after fellowship. And uh, I think I've, you know, really been able to develop specific areas of expertise in uh, reflux and GERD treatment, things like heartburn um, and the associated problems that come with that, as well as endobariatrics, which is a new interesting kind of frontier in weight management in the gastroenterology area of uh, specialty. So we can do some new, cool, specialized procedures that involve less surgery, things like that that we do endoscopically to help treat uh, overweight and obesity. And in general, yeah, as you mentioned, I have a fun family life. We, uh, we enjoy going outside, going out outdoors on the water and traveling. Um, we have twins and a daughter who keep us pretty busy.
0: <laughs> yeah, sounds like a fairly busy life. So you mentioned you're certified in gastroenterology, among other things. Just for the benefit of our listener, those are areas of medicine focused on diseases and disorders of the digestive system. Um, and conditions that impact the liver, gallbladder, pancreas, and so on. So with that brief overview, tell us a little bit more about the types of patients you see and some of maybe the challenges or some of the things that you really enjoy about that patient population.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, as a gastroenterologist, I treat disorders throughout the entire digestive tract, which includes everything from the esophagus, stomach, intestines, colon, and then the liver, gallbladder, and pancreas, the whole digestive tract. I've always found that breadth of internal medicine to be really interesting. So that's sort of why I went into GI, you know, between the acute bleeding patients in the hospital that we need to take care of all the way to, you know, liver diseases like hepatitis C. There's just a bit really big range of things that I get to um, help people with. And um, so there's that side that's very interesting. And then there's a whole procedure side where we do endoscopic procedures to help with a whole range of problems that can happen. Everything from colon cancer screening, we do colonoscopies to reduce the risk of colon cancer and detect colon cancer early so it can be treated more successfully. And then we do upper endoscopies to do things like dilation in the esophagus to help people with trouble swallowing and diagnose all the various diseases that we can see there.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. It sounds like there's quite the the breadth of stuff you can work on, so that's, I'm sure that's really rewarding. And you actually touched on this a little bit. For the benefit of our listeners, we're recording this episode in June, which is Men's Health Month, and one piece of medical advice we often hear for middle-aged men and other you know, younger men as well is the importance of regular screenings for colon cancer, starting generally around the age of 40 to 45, um, from what I understand. I learned that Falk Your Health is offering a direct access program that enables patients who are getting these routine screening colonoscopies to skip the extra visit and go straight to the procedure. So if you would, tell us a little bit more about that program and some of the benefits for patients.
1: That's exactly right. So a big part of gastroenterology and cancer screening in general is uh, making sure that we're detecting colon cancer early and hopefully preventing it. And over time, we've learned that colonoscopy and other forms of colon cancer screening can be really effective in catching these things early. Colon cancer is uh, one of the most common Types of cancers that are out there and it affects both men and women. And so, certainly, as part of a men's health regimen, screening on time is certainly important uh, for women as well. So, we used to screen starting at age 50. So most people know that, you know, at age 50, it's recommended to either do colonoscopy or some other form of colon cancer screening. Uh, but more recently, in the past few years, there's been some new information and some new guidelines developed so that we're now recommending colon cancer screening starting at age 45 for the quote-unquote average risk patient. So that means if you don't have a significant family history of uh, early colon cancer, things like that, then we would start at age 45. And typically we'll do a colonoscopy, and the reason for that is it's both helping to detect colon cancer at an earlier stage because if we can detect it early, then we can hopefully treat it more successfully, um, but it's also preventive. So it, we can detect colon polyps, which are precancerous, and if we remove those, then that helps to prevent colon cancer down the line. But there are some other additional tests, like stool-based tests. You may have seen commercials on TV for things like Cologuard, and that's also a reasonable approach. You know, the most important thing is that we get patients screened. Hopefully, you know, we usually recommend colonoscopy, but there are alternatives um, that can also be pretty
0: useful. And so this direct access program that y'all have, I assume generally there's, you know, you go in for your screening and then potentially there's an, another appointment in between that and a procedure that might need to take place. But this direct access program eliminates that middle step. Is that right?
1: Exactly. So I was excited to develop that program here at Fauquier. Um This is a, a just a way to increase access to colon cancer screening and colonoscopy. So the idea is if you are a patient who is of average risk, not having you know other symptoms or problems that need to be addressed in the office, we can go straight ahead to a colonoscopy appointment without needing to actually physically come to an appointment ahead of time. So what we do is uh, we've developed a screening questionnaire, basically, that a nurse or staff member will go over on the phone um, with the patient, and then if everything seems uh, like we're good to go ahead, then they will go ahead and get the patient scheduled. So we'll send in the prescription for the uh, colonoscopy prep medications and then give them an appointment time and then I'll meet them in the pre-procedure area before their colonoscopy. And uh, and then we do it. And that, that allows the patients to come in a little bit more convenient without having to physically show up in the office uh, just to schedule a, a procedure that they, they can go ahead with.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I would imagine for a procedure like that with somewhat of a stigma, I mean, I'm right now I'm 26. So I have not yet reached that point in my life where I have gone through a screening, but I have parents who have and other family members and things like that. And I know that it, there's a little bit of a, a stigma associated with it, unfortunately. And so I would imagine that eliminating as many barriers to entry as possible is only a good thing. When you talk about the importance of screening, if you could give a message to folks out there. We've had other folks on this podcast who work sort of in this realm trying to fight colon cancer. And it it seems like that community is just so passionate about this issue because I'm imagining partially because it is so preventable. Um, And if folks just get the right care at the right time, it is so preventable. So what would your message be to the public about the importance of screening?
1: Well, uh, obviously I'm biased because I see the whole range of issues that can come up from People with negative screenings, where everything is fine, all the way through finding um, early or even late stage colon cancers people didn't know about. So unfortunately, colon cancer is relatively common. It affects somewhere around one in twenty people if they're not screened, if it's not prevented. And uh, so that's that's a pretty high number. And you know for that reason, we don't even call someone. Quote unquote low risk for colon cancer. We, we like to say average risk because the risk is, uh, you know, just not that low. So like I said, the most important thing is to get screened and that that means either colonoscopy or some, one of the alternative tests. You know, a lot of people, like you said, do have uh, some preconceptions about colonoscopy. They don't really want to come in for the procedure. A lot of times mostly because of the idea of the prep for the colonoscopy, but. Sadly, we see some folks who will avoid it to the point where then they come in a little bit too late and we end up finding a cancer. So my main message is that I think, you know, just to get screened, and that means either colonoscopy or, you know, if you don't want to do a colonoscopy, then do one of the alternatives like a stool-based test. It's pretty easy. I try to make it as convenient as possible. And at least then you have some information to, you know, sort of go on in terms of next steps. If it's positive, you can then do a colonoscopy. If it's negative. At least we know that your risk is a little bit lower.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great information for folks to have. We referenced your interest in outdoor activities. The weather's getting warm. It's, it's summertime, the season for being outside. Obviously, an active and healthy lifestyle are important behaviors for folks just to support good health overall. Uh, but during Men's Health Month specifically, what other advice or, or health tips would you give to men out there?
1: So I've been doing my own work on this as well uh, in terms of my own self improvement and I think the the main thing is just trying to eat right like you said exercise is really important there's a lot of you know screening tests that are um, important for for men and women you know men should obviously also have prostate cancer screening but I think the most important thing is trying to lead a healthy lifestyle. And, and from what I see, you know, in, in my office, um, a lot of that means just making sure you're eating a healthy diet. And, and really, that means, you know, vegetables, fruits, not too much packaged foods. I think uh, it's easy to get it over complicated. There's a lot of marketing out there about healthy foods and what you should be doing, and it can get very confusing. But in, in my mind, just the, the simple idea of trying to avoid too much packaged foods eating more fresh foods, and uh, just getting outside and and exercising. That's that's one of the most important things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for that advice. Before we let you go, it's tradition on this podcast to ask our guests a few sort of fun questions to close things out. So if you'll indulge us, I have a list of 10 mystery questions that we'll draw from. Um, And when you're ready, if you give me two numbers between 1 and 10, I'll read those corresponding questions for you to close us out.
1: Okay, let's go with 6 and 7.
0: Alrighty, number 6. This is a fun one. In a hypothetical scenario that you have one-time access to a time machine with limits, you can either travel 100 years into the past or 100 years into the future. Which direction do you choose and why?
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh. I guess I'll go 100 years into the future. I feel like hopefully we work things out where we actually get to go 100 years (laughs) into the future. But, uh, you know... Compared to 100 years ago, I think we're living pretty well now, and I would love to see what things are like 100 years in the future. I'm sure it'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Going back to that healthy lifestyle thing, I think going back 100 years, we would be aghast at the lifestyle folks led back then. So yes, I agree (laughs) with you. 100 years in the future is much better. Okay, and number seven, a traditional question here. If you could choose one superpower to have, or just as a little twist, any one skill to instantly master... What would it be and why?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a timeless question.
0: Indeed it is.
1: (laughs) I guess I would love to uh, be able to slow down time, be like the Flash, Mm. just move around super quick get get places quickly. Um, sometimes I like to travel. I like to go around. I'm kind of impatient. It'd be nice to get places super fast and not lose a
0: lot of time in the process. You know, that's a fascinating way to frame the Flash's superpower, to slow down time. I like that. I mean, I, I generally think about it as just getting from point A to point B super quickly, but I guess if you can travel that fast, really relative to you, everything else is super slow. So you can enjoy the the beautiful things in life for much longer, I guess. So that's nice. That's right. Cool. Well, those are both great answers. And with that, we have come to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. We want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Yvonne Harden, a gastroenterologist from Falkir Health, for joining us today. So thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Thanks so much for having me.